This Mishnah has um, a number of halachas that would apply to brothers who have inherited an estate from their late father and haven't yet divided it, so they're still all living off what's called the Tfusa Sabayis, the family estate, and it will later on be divided up equally amongst the boys or according to the halachas if there's a Bukhor and the like. So um, each of the various halachas stands alone. The first is talking about a scenario in which it was customary in the place in which these boys lived that the local authorities, we'll call them the king, whoever's in charge, um, would assign um, tax farming rights, like tax collection rights, to uh, a particular family. The idea being that they would appoint someone to be the tax farmer, meaning the tax collector, and he would essentially collect for the king, and he could keep a percentage of what he collects. So it's a very lucrative um, opportunity. And the assumption that the Mishnah has here is that um, different families got a chance, and the king is going to pick someone um, not based on one of these brothers, I should say, based not on their specific virtues as an ideal tax collector for whatever reason, that he's good with money or he's reliable or he's the oldest or he's the best or the king knows him. None of that. It's just that the king said, listen, it's now ter- now the time for, you know, this, the Shapiro family to do the tax collecting. Um, and so one of the boys get to, gets appointed as the tax collector. In such a scenario... The mission is going to say that all the proceeds that this boy gets from this engagement um, will go to the the, the pool, the Tfus Sabayas, and they'll share in the proceeds equally. The idea being that since he wasn't chosen for him and his particular talents, per se, just he was, let's say, the oldest who ever was, and he just went to fulfill the role that was coming to their family, um, so he has no specific rights in the profits. Um, in contrast, again, the mission doesn't discuss any of this. It's very, very brief. But in the event that the king chose one of the brothers, particularly because he was known to be safe or good or strong or smart or reliable or whatever it is, um, then that boy would indeed be chosen for his own virtues and be entitled to the proceeds. Uh, similarly, obviously, if the boys get a job, even if, it's, if it's a job that all four of the brothers could do equally, if any one of the boys gets a job on his own merits, you know, he's painting houses or something, working as a cashier in the local grocery store, so then um, he certainly keeps the proceeds for himself. Okay, the Mishnah says very little. It just says, If you have brothers who are now partners, they're partners because they are partners economically in this Tfusa Sabayis, the family estate that hasn't been divided up. That one of them now has been assigned this job. Usually, Umnus would mean actually like a specific kind of craft that he's undertaking. And that would suggest maybe that's something unique to him. But again, the shot has to be that he got this role to do this tax farming or the like just because he's one of these brothers. In that case, nafal emtza. In such a scenario, the proceeds would then fall into the middle, meaning they'd be shared equally amongst the brothers. Yeah, that's the first of the halachas in the Mishnah. Now, a new point. The new point of the Mishnah here, we're going to say, is that, um, and it's also not very explicit in the Mishnah, but this is what it means when the Gemara gets done with it, is that if one of the brothers gets sick, so then the normal idea would be that all of the different um, topics of support, of issues of support, um, in terms of, like, say, housing and food, clothing, and medical attention, will be provided by the estate. In the event, however, that one of the boys brings on some um, medical condition on himself, because he acted as a poche, he was reckless, um, you know, I don't know, he went on a hike and didn't drink, so he got dehydrated, okay? So in such a scenario, if it's his own fault, so then we're going to say here that the costs for recovery should come out of his portion, his pocket, out of the general pool. In contrast, of course, if it's circumstances beyond its control, um, then he's supported by the by the pool resources at all events. Um, 
all that, meaning even if he's going to be paying for his own medical expenses because he was reckless and broke his leg because he decided to go, you know, whatever, skydiving. Um, so that's only in a scenario where there's some sort of like fixed cost. He has to pay to go get, you know, his leg put in a cast and take x-rays and we'll get better. But if it becomes some kind of ongoing um, expense, that's sort of without any obvious end to the attention the person's getting. So then that's considered to be more like Mazonos, like food, his basic needs, and therefore would be um, covered by the pooled resources, even if he brought up on himself. Still, that would be the case. Okay, that's how the halacha shakes out. Again, the mission says very little. All the mission says is, Chalav if he got sick, and then he needed to get healed. Again, nisra paid normally would mean like he gets better. But here we're saying he got better because he got medical attention and that incurred a bill. And again, the mission doesn't say explicitly, but if the the choli, the sickness or the medical bills arose from his own uh, negligence, so then nisra peh, in such a scenario, he would pay out of his own pocket, not out of the pooled resources. Again, the mission is very curt, you know, concise, and doesn't say as much as you need to say to understand the din. Okay, fine. The next case of the mission has a whole new thing here. We're talking about something called Shushbinus. Shushbinus is um, the custom that it was in the time of the Mishnah, um, in many times and places, where essentially people couldn't afford to make weddings. So how did it work? That whenever someone was making a wedding, so then all the friends and neighbors in the community um, contributed a little bit, or not necessarily all, but the people that were these people's friends um, did contribute. Um, uh, in different ways, you know, the guy who was a cobbler provided shoes, and the guy who had a brand distillery gave the liquor for the wedding, whatever it is, gifts to the the chassan, so he can make a wedding. Okay, but these aren't gifts like wedding gifts. These are the community pooling together to give resources so that the wedding could be geschmack and there be food and drink and alcohol and whatever decor for the wedding and the festivities around the wedding. Um, but they're not gifts in a normal sense. They're sort of like social obligations. And so much so, the mission will say, that there's actually a formal obligation to reciprocate. You actually have to, if your neighbors gave shushbinas to you, when their kid gets married, you'll have to give shushbinas back to them. So much so that if you don't, they can essentially take you to Bezin and sue you for the for the money. Okay, So it's really like, kind of like a formal obligation. So our Mishnah wants to say, wants to ask the question, answer the question, what happens if... Um, the Shushbinus was provided by the family when the father was alive. Now the father's died, and now, you know, one of the kids um, who's getting married, the neighbors bring over, you know, let's say liquor or whatever it is, um, and it's left their liquor from that wedding. So does it belong to the chassan or does it belong to all the brothers? So the basic idea the mission is going to say is that it belongs to all the brothers because it really is sort of a reciprocal payment that the f- family is getting. And, in exchange for them having provided shushbinus for the neighbors in a previous wedding. And that came from the father's pocket, not from these boys. Therefore, they're sharing it equally, even though there's obviously a specific chassan here. But unless it's clear that it was, you know, the current chassan who provided the shushbinus, I don't know, to his best friend, his classmate before, and it's going back to this guy specifically, if that's not the case, it's just sort of a general obligation. Oh, your family took care of mine when we got our wedding, so now we're taking care of yours. So then the resources will be pulled in the middle of what's received by the family is shushbinus. So that's the idea here. The mission says, inside, ha'achin sha'asu miktsasan shushbinus b'chaya'av. In a scenario where, um, you know, let's say there were four brothers, let's say, and while the father was alive, so um, two of the brothers, you know, had neighbor, brought shushbinus gifts over to their neighbors, um, and they later on, we know, got married. But then, 
um, the father now, now the father's dead, and now the, these boys are getting married, let's say. I'm sorry if I said that clear earlier on, I'm not sure, but let's say these boys are getting married now. It doesn't make a difference, really. Um, so now, Chazer Shushbinos, so now like the neighbors are reciprocating by bringing stuff back for these boys' weddings. Um, so Chazer Emza, the economic value of that Shushbinos, so let's call it the leftovers, whatever it is, would go into the pool, resources of the family. Shushbinos, because this contribution, I'll call it, Nigbis Bebezin, it can actually be extracted in Bezin, meaning if... The neighbors didn't bring, you know, the gift for this kid's wedding. So then the f- kids or the family could actually sue the neighbors to do that because they have an obligation since they receive shushbinus from this family. So that's the nature of shushbinus. It's not a real wedding gift, and therefore it's it's an obligation to the family. And like any obligation to the family, which which was incurred during the life of the father, when it gets repaid, uh, it goes to the middle, to the pool. Now we're going to contrast that with real bona fide wedding gifts. That's a separate thing. Obviously, it would be terrible. It's a marvelous society that's being set up here that the community is, is you know, all kind of um, clubbing together to provide, uh, you know, a wedding for the neighbor and they're doing it in a way that everyone feels it's like out of love as opposed to out of obligation, even though it kind of is out of obligation. But it's sort of mutual obligation. It's very nice. But the bottom line is people have to be able to give true gifts in a real chesedic way as expression of love, not obligation. So a real wedding gifts is something different, as the Mishnah says. If the neighbor or the friend sends a gift as a wedding gift of a, you know, a, a jug of wine, a jug of oil, and it's really a gift out of the goodness of his heart, not of obligation, so that's a wedding gift, then of course, you certainly can't say like, oh, I gave you a bottle of wine, now you have to give me a bottle of wine. No, that bottle of wine was a wedding gift. There's no demand for reciprocity in a bezin. There's no such thing as a real gift. Since they were given out of kindness, and since they can't be, they're not a formal obligation to be repaid, if they do get, so to speak, um, given back in, in a reciprocal kind of way, it belongs entirely to the, the chassan, the groom, because it's a gift. It's not really a true obligation in any, in any true legal sense.